Welcome, friends. Hello and greetings, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs. It's Watery Desho stream of thought. Wait a minute. This is not a stream anymore. This is a stagnant pool of water. The stagnant pool of thought. Wow. What, what, a, what, a, uh, what a downgrade. Could, could you not just say it's not a live stream? It's just a podcast. But no, we had to go straight for, you know, here's the secondhand bathwater. Well, we have to keep the, like, analogy to bodies of water. You know, well, obviously, obviously we can call it. States obviously, we can call it downstream then. Uh huh. Because that's where you'll find it after we've done it. It's just bottled I'm, water. I'm genius, this is just on demand. Yeah, this water on demand, just bottled water. But single use bottle. Mm, no, that's probably not good. We shouldn't. We'll workshop this later. Anyway, this is uh, listeners episode two. Uh, the Mappa uh, Daisato written anime of the current spring 2020 or perhaps past if you're listening to this much later uh spring 2020 anime season i am the subtle doctor here leading the charge uh and along with me to help me through uh my fumbles and stumbles foibles spills is uh the hardest working man in pod business it is shadon you know what, folks? If you listened to our previous episode on listeners, you might recall that I was uh, very lukewarm on it. A bit cold, even. You know, a bit frosty. And, well, what a U-turn. You know, what a U-turn for a show to have where, thank God it happened in the second episode, by the way, and not like, you know, at the 11th hour. But I am now very much on board with this show because I'll get into it later, of course, but what episode two of Listeners does, it does right where episode one did wrong, in my opinion. And I know Doc will disagree with me, um, because that's, you know, we've got to have some sort of, like, you know, conflict throughout this little podcast series going on here. You know, I'm going to be deliberately contrarian for the for the ratings, for the clout. <laughs> um, nah, I kid, of course. But um, I'm looking forward to talking about the things I actually genuinely likes this time around, rather than just sounding like you know i've just woken up outside of a coma or something like i did last time i'm doing a pose over here because you know a1 since day one hashtag down since uh since since the beginning uh listeners was always good <laughs> listeners did nothing wrong. oh you're you're one of the you're one of those are you well you you know daisato did just, nothing wrong <laughs> you're just a pretender shade and like you know you you're just game with the fat fair, fair weather bandwagon hopper over here wait until episode two to get on board um is your spirit animal the sheep <laughs> um what was the oh i've already forgotten is there a, a, a prominent sheep in Beastars? Uh, well, there's Tem the alpaca. Yeah, uh, the alpaca. He, he, the rest he, he's peace. prominent. Um, you yeah, know, he's, he gets, <laughs> he's, he, he's he's very prominent in yeah. the same way I suppose that the Big Mac is prominent on the McDonald's menu. Oh boy, um, not sure how to transition out of that, but we'll. I'll just brute force and say. Uh, <laughs> That we're going to try to... Uh, well, no, you know what? Let's stay here. Let's stay in the banter. Because I just want to point this out before we cover the episode proper, Shadon. So, COVID-19. Ah, uh, that old chestnut. COVID-19 has claimed the life of the English voice actor of... Star yep. Fox 64's own peppy hair. Yep, and also the soldier from Team Fortress 2. He's, uh, 
you know, doing a barrel roll in that great R-wing in the sky, I'd like to think now. And I just want to say, fuck COVID. Um, yeah, fuck, fuck that. How dare you? How dare you take this away from us? No, not not to me. I don't want to make super light of this situation, but if I don't laugh, I will cry. And uh, I did do a better roll was like such a like, like I don't know if Star Fox sixty four was a big game in your life, but um, I was a Sega kid, so no. So like, we definitely were Nintendo. I mean, we had a Genesis, but like, you know, we had a NES, a SNES, and an N sixty four, and. During the that generation of consoles, I guess the third generation, um, like it, it was pretty rough for me because the PlayStation and Saturn were getting all these games that looked incredible that I really wanted to play. Ah, there was I nothing not... decent on PlayStation. I mean, Final Fantasy VII. Pfft, I ain't seen that coming around anytime soon. I wouldn't worry. Yeah, I know. Drop in the well, ocean. No it's... one cares. It's, Tekken, it's not like nah. uh, <laughs> it's not like Resident Evil still a thing. That died a long time ago. Metal Devil Gear Maker, Solid. Right? Ah! Nah, nah, no one. Cares. Oh, DMC didn't. DMC did not start till Castlevania. Till later. Can you imagine I Castlevania know. even becoming like a TV show? Good God! <laughs> well, well, that I was mean, that was on the Nintendo sixty four as well. But I don't know if the you bad want one. to talk about those, <laughs> those ones. Um, but yeah, but Star Fox was sort of like an oasis in the desert of releases for that that console. And uh, I played a lot of it and heard that guy talk a lot of times. And um, I don't know. It just, it struck me as sad. And I'm sad that happened. Um, and yeah, that, it sucks. But many, many things do for many people in, in today's world. Hmm. Um, Rest in peace, soldier. But you, but you know, you know what? What, uh, as you say, what didn't suck is this episode of listeners. And so, yeah. let's uh, let's try to talk about that before we we talk about Half Man. Though, let's talk about the uh, the polls from episode one. The title of which I don't remember, unfortunately. I'm sure uh, it was live forever. Reference, okay, live forever. Yeah. Uh, speaking um, of references, before we get into that, though, like. I can't be 100% certain of this. I am actually doubtful of it, but I feel almost convinced that Half Man is a reference to the band Half Man, Half Biscuit. Oh, I, yes. I hope so. <laughs> That's also a, a band, great, right. one of the greatest band names of all time. Yep. And they do amazing songs like National Shy Day, and also uh, a song that has a lot of meaning to it as a riff on like the endless merchandising of otherwise, you know, like prominent bands that people think highly of, uh, which goes Joy Division Oven Gloves. Yep, that's a song that they did. And it's great. <laughs> I would very highly recommend you check it out on YouTube. And believe me, like if it were turned out that this episode was a reference to Half Man, Half Biscuit, I... I would be so in awe. I'd be like, someone's done their homework on British indie rock, like of the good kind. So that's I hope incredible. Episode, I hope episode three is called Half Biscuit, because then, then we'll know. <laughs> that would be great. That would be so good. I know it's I know it's not the case, because we got no. the episode title at the end. No, what is it called? In my mind, I don't remember, but it was definitely not Half Biscuit, because I would have told you about that already. Um, so what could have been, though, folks? What could have been? Um, All right, so polls. Let's talk about episode one, poll number one, the first of the first. Uh, me, I found the episode uninspired, so I put the question out. Do you feel the same? We have a 50-50 split. 
The first time ever in the history of the show. My God, especially when it's something I'm talking about as well. I usually people disagree with me entirely. Um, but yeah, 50% of people agreed with me that they felt the episode was uninspired and 50% of them uh, disagreed. And you know what? If I was asking the same question this time around, I'd feel that the, uh, you know... Well, first off, I wouldn't find it uninspired because I do think this episode is very good indeed. There's a lot to talk about. But I do feel like, you know, that more people would be on board with it. It feels like it really, you know, could have its shell quite quickly and to its benefit. Uh, so, poll number two. What would make you want to visit the Oasis bar? 67% of, uh, of you voted for the Champagne Supernova, the special drink. Yeah. You know, yeah. the house special. Uh, 33% of you voted to see Liam and Noel fight, because that's all they ever do apart from playing Oasis whenever they get round to it. And 0% of you, this surprised me because I hope someone recognised this, 0% uh, of you said that you'd rather go to Pub Blur, to be honest. <laughs> I, I'm, I am immensely disappointed no one picked Woo, that. Um, oh, come on, you know you've been up for the, the drink park life, you know. I want to say really quickly, before I forget, that... um. Uh, so there's a, a British wrestler called uh, Noam Dar, and uh, Noam Dar uh, comes out to uh, an Oasis song. Um, I think it's, um, what is it, Morning Glory? Uh, What's Your Story, Morning Glory? That one. I love that song. Mm -hmm. And uh, his finisher is the Champagne Super Knee Bar. I thought it was going to be the Wonderwall myself, where he just literally runs into like, the side <laughs> barrier or something. <laughs> He's a tiny I mean... man, so I don't think that would work. <laughs> Ah, uh, well. Ah, uh, well. Uh, I, love, I love the Champagne Super Knee Bar. I had to get it in there. <laughs> it's pretty good. It is inspired. I'll give him that. Um, so, poll number three. What did you think of the chemistry between Echo and Mew? And 38% you said it was pretty good. I liked it. 54% uh, of you, including myself, said, eh, didn't care for it. And 8% of you said, not a fan at all. So, again, kind of mixed opinions on this, which seems to be the trend, generally speaking, throughout these polls. Um, next up, poll number four. Were you able to get behind Echo's motivations and invest in him based on what the episode showed us? 33% uh, of you quoted Mary Jane and said, go get him, Tiger. 33% uh, of you said, mm, kind of, half and half, you know, a little bit there, a little bit not. And 34% of you clinching it due to a rounding error, basically, uh, said, nope, didn't care. So again, very, very mixed on this one. Uh, poll number five. What did you think of the show's in-universe terms such as gig form, core parts, earless, and player, to name a few? 80% of you said they were too plain, like I mentioned. Again, this is really bizarre a world where people are agreeing with me on our polls rather than going completely against me. And I'm like, well, don't I just feel alone now? So thank you, everyone. Uh, I don't want to be right in this case. And as it turns out, I've completely U-turned, so I've kind of betrayed all my newfound poll friends. But oh, well, you know, easy come, easy go. Um, poll number six, how was the giant robot fight at the end for you? And 18% you threw up the horns, 45% of you <laughs> gave it a thumbs up, and 37% of you gave it a thumbs down. So again, mixed, most people being positive about it, some not so much. Uh, but that brings us to the end of our poll, so thank you for everyone who took part. We'll have a new set coming, maybe not quite as soon as this podcast is out, but certainly very quickly thereafter to cover episode two. I mean, I've got to get a question about the spooky toilet. There will be a poll about that. Oh my that. god. So, so, how, so awesome. How can, there, how can there not be a poll about the spooky toilet? Come on. <laughs> well, the crazy thing is, is it's a fountain. Mmm. I'll explain that in due course. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I was gonna say like there was definitely no uh, there was definitely no urinal there, but well, oh was there we'll not? Get... I thought there was a urinal there somewhere. I'm fairly certain the echo was just pissing against the wall. And yes, we're we're opening our discussion of oh, listeners' episodes. Perfect, though that's oh that's so perfect. Um, very rock and roll. Okay, so we should uh, backtrack. We'll get to the beginning. So here we go. Here's a quick rundown of what happened this episode. So the episode began. Uh, with a flashback to tiny Echo Wreck being told stories by old men, uh, telling him one of which uh, you definitely could not hear, and that was a funny joke that they kept doing. I, I, I am, enjoy that. You know, in going along with all the references to British stuff here, if that turns out to be a reference to Hot Fuzz, specifically the father who speaks an incredibly thick accent uh, with the sea mine joke, then my god, like I'll just I'll stop reviewing this show immediately and just declare it perfect. I just and, like that everyone else can understand him, but we, the audience. Well, that, that's the joke in Hot Fuzz, though. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's he mine. And he's like, there's he mine. He's got a mine. Oh, he's oh, got a sea mine. Uh, this is the, uh, the, the pikey jokes from uh, Snatch. Right? <laughs> the, the, you even got, you get pikey subtitles on the DVD. Do you like Dags? DVD. Yeah, do, do you like Dags? <laughs> uh, Pettywinkle Blue. Although then, the although then again, there's there's no there's no better line from Snatch than uh, Tyrone. That's not a fucking shotgun. It's a fucking <laughs> anti-aircraft cannon. And I'm saying it too enthusiastically for that, but it's still a great line. God, I really uh, listen. Those two movies, Snatch and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, are some of my favorite comedies. <laughs> I adore those movies. Uh, remember the remember the good old times when Guy Ritchie wasn't shit. God. I mean, to be, okay, to be fair, his filmography has been fairly fun overall, but we'll discuss that a different day. Oh, man. There's so many lines I want to quote, but we can't go down this rabbit hole. Um, Tom, you're fat and look as though you should be, but you're not. I don't know what is that. What does that mean? It's so good. Okay. Um, so they're telling him these stories. And uh, they are talking about the earless, and one of them suggests that they used to be people. Um, and uh, thankfully, Swell comes to rescue Echo uh, from them, and immediately tells a scary story of her own to poor little Echo. If, if you're bad, the earless are going to get you if you're naughty. Um, but he at least knows that she's, you know, messing with him. And uh, But she sort of assuages his fears that the earless were people. Um and she said, you know, if you want to know more about them, you'll have to ask a player because the ones that fear the earless most are the players. And yeah, not the other way around, as you might otherwise have thought from the first indeed, episode. Indeed, indeed. And uh, yeah, so that, that kind of comes to bear a little bit. We learned, I think, this episode that, like, um, we know, we actually know very little about this universe and how it works. And um, we're probably going to be surprised by quite a few things going forward. Um we might expect things to play out a certain way based on other anime that we've seen, but they don't play out that way. Um, mm. That that works on different levels. This episode. Um, then we get our OP, which was super cool. Um, did you enjoy the OP? I did very much. It was complete chaos. Let's be honest, but it felt very music video to me, which is it, the kind of sure movie you'll go for. And I am almost ninety percent certain that the listener's title itself, uh, with the giant bulbs, is a reference to I think the Stereophonics. I'm certain I've seen their, like, mm. name in the same, like, you know, setup in one of their music videos. 
I could be wrong, mind you, but I am almost 100% positive that that particular light logo is a reference to a British band of some kind, in much the same way that, you know, the Live Forever thing from episode one was a reference to Oasis's, like, band logo. Yeah, I, for some reason, I thought it was the Strokes, but... It could be the Strokes. Well, they're not British, so that would The Strokes are good, though, to be fair, though, so I would be okay with that. Absolutely, um... It was from the time before the, you know, the great indie collapse of 2010, <laughs> you know, or in fact, no, it was a bit before that, actually. But yeah, like, you know, when yeah. uh, British indie wasn't like, you know, completely forgettable recycled garbage. Yeah, American Garage Rock. It was okay for a couple of years. Um, so after the OP, we see that uh, Echo and Moo are uh, riding the train, as it were, um, to the parts- midnight train to anywhere. Yeah, right. To parts unknown, and uh, this is a great part at the beginning Street that I really liked. Lights, be sorry. Uh, so I, I couldn't. About... I, I couldn't not continue that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just think about Midnight Train to Georgia when I think about that, which is a non-indie, a much older song, but um, and a great one of the greatest songs. It's such oh god, I love that song. Anyway, um, there's a great part where you know Moo and Echo. Since they didn't stay behind to verify the mayor's survival, it's it's still up in the air, like it was for me. They're like, ah, oh, you know, he seemed like he's a tough guy. Uh, I think uh, he looked like he was he'd like survive sixty pounds like soaking wet. <laughs> you like, know, forget about him. He's he's fine. He's he's fine. Echo, no, don't don't worry about that. Um, and he then... has the bone density of a Twix bar. There's no way he could have normally <laughs> survived that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's remarkably uh, cavalier, but that's Moo for you. Um, that's why I like Moo. Um, and, you know, so the the world is so big, uh, Echo remarks. He's never kind of been outside his hometowns. He's looking around. It's like, oh, my gosh, like this expansive horizon. It's like it makes me feel like there's so much possibility. And Moo is very much like, yeah, you know, when you're out in the world, you know, I think to myself, uh I'll never be bored. Mm. Cut to the next scene. I'm bored. <laughs> and she punches Echo, who apologizes for... I, I'm sure he thought, like... Th- well, you know what? I won't speculate. I I feel like this is a, those sort of... A, an, kind of a layer abstracted uh, from, like, one of those, like, etchy jokes. Um, that Well, he was asleep, to be fair. He was asleep, but, like, he was probably... You know, if you get punched, it's... I don't really know how to articulate what I mean here, but like, it's like he was like getting punched made him think that he had done something inappropriate, or just something in wrong generally, quite possibly. Uh, which I will mention later uh, as a as a thing, like you know, that ties into why this episode does such a better job of like giving us insight into who Echo is than the first one, where he simply told us, "Oh yeah, you know, like I've you know that's how it be," and I'm like. That's not enough. We need more. And then we got more this time around. So thank you. Thank you, listeners. Interesting. So I, f- I feel like I didn't learn as much about him, but we'll, I will let you, um, I will certainly, you know, you will have the floor and be able to make your case. Uh, I'll get to mic drop. Don't you worry. Mm. So like, um, you know, shortly after that little part, uh, the earless are chasing the train. Um, they look down into uh, the sort of the sky that they're that the bridge that they're on is is 
riding over and they see the earless and the earless are chasing them. So robot fight time, punch. Um, you know, it's we're we're rolling, we're fighting. And then now it's time for heck yes, the ultimate move, pose. We're gonna do it. And then nothing. It just doesn't happen. Um, do you, dear viewers, suffer from the unfortunate effects of giant robot impetus? Signs include <laughs> ultimate attacks not working. You may be interested in Mech Be Back. <laughs> oh no. Oh, yeah, I really did from... feel like we needed some really old man like just coming like and say like, have you been in this situation where your yes. giant mech doesn't work all of a sudden for no explained reason? Is this from the makers of MechShore? <laughs> man, that's an old joke. I wonder yeah. how many people are going to recognize that. <laughs> to all, to all one of you, we are kindred spirits. <laughs> man, I don't know. It's so hard to know like what the audience overlap would be. Um, man, I miss MechShore. That was fun. I loved Mech I might have to. I might have to do another MechShore joke. <laughs> Please, we, we must do another MechShore. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'm, I'm Shaden, and I'm a player, and you know what troubles me when I go touring <laughs> to fight airless monsters? Ensuring my equipment. <laughs> you know, I could, I could, I could yep, write this stuff yep. in my sleep. Exactly. Ensuring my equipment. Um, so uh, they they sort of get... Um, how does it happen? So they, they end up, uh, like, taking a tumble uh, yep. in their escape from, from these earless. Uh, yep. And they they the mech goes back in the amp, and they fall down the cliffs and are in hiding from the earless. And uh, then the Nubalton sisters appear once again. Um, this cannot continue. This cannot continue. Totally. Uh, I mean, it it is inarguable that their visual uh, the dialogue. Their no. visual reference. Oh, the visual reference is to near Automata, but the the dialogue and their ideas are, um, and these things may be in near Automata also. But like, I will talk in talking points about the movements in art, painting, culture, music Ooh. that, um, that these characters, these New Balton folks, uh, embody. Because there's a lot of really interesting ideas underneath them um, that I want to get out there that I think make what they're about and what they're saying make a little bit more, uh, maybe make sense is not the right word, but like kind of give you, get, help you get your bearings when kind of trying to parse and figure out what these characters are about. Mm. I'm personally just glad that Baby Metal finally grew up and decided to change their, you know, band name. Hey. Um, so it's they... the post-apocalypse. It's been at least twenty years. <laughs> uh, so these these uh, folks appear. Um, have they have they said their gender yet? Because I refer to them. I've been referring to them in my head as sisters, uh, and they definitely present to to me as um, ladies. But I don't actually know. If they are gendered uh, in this show or not, pass. I don't believe that's been mentioned. Uh, they they do indeed mention like sister and such, but oh yeah, that's I... right. They do. They totally do. One of them does refer to the other one as sister. And I think that the, I'm. You know what? Just gonna I'm gonna step out on a limb here, and I'm gonna call them sisters and ladies. And if they are not, I will definitely own up to it and change it in future episodes. Um, so. 
listeners. Not the anime, but people listening to the show. <laughs> um, oh, God. Keep me honest. Um, okay. So, uh, they, this the C-Sisters, say that uh, they refer to Moo and uh, the power and light that she was giving off as the light that they've been seeking and the power that was lost. Um, and I have my notes. They crazy. Um, and no, they... so, what was your first clue? <laughs> they use the phrase um Pre- present your evidence that these people are crazy and then right. just gesture at the entire episode i know i know um they use the phrase uh let's do it a dada which is important um so uh cut back to our heroes uh around the campfire uh letting their i assume maybe they fell into a body of water um uh, that would be the with the bottom of the bridge mm-hmm so they're letting their clothes dry by the fire. They have, luckily, these really big, warm-looking blankets uh, to cover up their uh, undergarments uh, and their bodies. And uh, they are talking, and Echo says, Hey, look, I know why your uh, I know why your big robot attack failed. You didn't give it a cool name. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the, the phrase, like, if you want to start with an attack, first give it a name. It's like, that's the dumbest thing ever. Um, well, I've got a suggestion for them. I mean, it, it's the, the color scheme is green, so uh, refreshing mint flavor. Hmm. Doesn't roll off the tongue. Doesn't roll off. So what about Emerald Splash? No one's using that. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's pretty good. I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, Mine was a Mystery Science Fair 3000 reference, though, so I'm taking oh, points for that. Okay, you do. But suddenly you do. I have refreshing mint flavor. <laughs> okay. Um... That's a, a gap in my cultural knowledge. I've never seen a single episode of that. We'll continue. I mean, I, of course, you, you you can't live without knowing what it is and the whole process of it. You know, I've just never seen it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, like bread. I know. I I know of it, even though I've never experienced it myself. Come, come on, dog. <laughs> bread, please. <laughs> um, listen, we're you're. We need to get to this really important joke where it looks like Echo is masturbating. But he's, uh, not. he's playing with junk again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I have, I have he's really looking ask... for the book. <laughs> but... Why does he have to hide his book down there? Like, he has a million and one pockets. Like, he's wearing, like, a, overalls, uh, you know. I know. Why does he have to be. I don't know. I mean, I, it's not even I, a porno I, mag, which would make more sense. Yeah. I will say, like, that this episode. This stuff hit me um, as less clever. Um, Like, I I think it may be because there are a couple moments. This episode, they lean into one of them more. And then last episode, too, but I think I was just willing to overlook it. Where, like, the the dynamic that annoys me ever so much, um, that, that, you know, when done... Poor, I maybe not even when done poorly. I'd, maybe I've just seen it happen a lot. Um, very sort of Sundari light, where you know, ah, like you are you are doing something uh, that I do not like. That is, uh, you know, I'm interpreting a sexual in nature. I'm not into that. I'm not into this at all. But also, if you talk about like me in a complimentary fashion or 
you know, give comments that be construed that you like me, I'm going to blush and be like, okay, I am really into you. I, I want you to like oh, me it's more. Uh, but it, like, not, not to like... It's Miku from Franks again. You remember that? Oh my gosh! I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna engage in that. Now, the, like, the, I think the, the the way I just said it makes me uncomfortable because it's not like this is not me saying like, uh, you know, lady giving like, lady enjoying being complimented and consent should then enjoy being like it, some sexually sort of aggressive behavior, um. Or something like that. I don't want to conflate those two ideas, but but there is something. It's sort of like why I think maybe it's just like why does she like seem so interested in Echo? Like why is she kind of blushing and flattered by what he says? Um, you know, I would be way cooler. I think with if they just leaned into the idea that like they're they're bros, like they're buds, and like. Echo sort of just does a lot of uh, inappropriate things accidentally, not knowing how he's coming off, and she just kicks him in the head for it, and that's kind of it. But that other dimension, I don't know, there's just something about it that makes me feel uneasy. Is it the fact that Echo himself is completely innocent, so it doesn't feel like there's an exchange, if you want to call it that? I don't know, it just makes it feel, it makes, I think it makes Moo feel... It's like, oh yeah, Moo, anime heroine. Yep, she's a, she's she's, uh, she's a, she's, a yeah. ca- she's a character. She's not a person. She's a character that they're writing. That's and why she's in. We need yeah. to like. That's why she's into him. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, she, she you know, the their their kind of romantic relationship, if they have one, will always. It it seems like it's just going to exist in this in this area where he is clueless about her being interested in him to some degree and i don't know but like there's that like there will also be the whole like you know oh my god are you gonna whip your dick out no i'm just looking for my book punch like i don't know there's just something about it that like i wish it It wasn't that (laughs) Yeah, it was a good thing that she was asleep, though, when uh, Echo finally develops his first foot fetish. <laughs> yeah. You know I'm right. That too. I'm not, that that's too. not even a joke. <laughs> good God. I mean, okay, just to address what you said at the start, I'll save this for the talking points, because it's going to get into why the comedy is so much better this episode overall, in my opinion. There, it is good. Is stuff, there is good this, this stuff is This stuff is still a bit lame, in my opinion. But I'm okay with it because it is complemented, or rather, it exists in spite of uh, the other good skits, like the one we already mentioned about the boredom joke, which was the one you know crafted through you know a nice cut to day. Sorry, to nighttime. We see time has passed, and it's like I'm not going to be bored. Oh, I'm bored. Yeah, I mean, that was and good. everything. Uh, and everything with the attack, the the pose and the attack. Yeah, that was also fun. Anyway, so uh, um. What is humming? Um, is a question I have in my notes because I I guess if I remember correctly, like so music has been like it's just gone through some apocalyptic event, right? And that's why when Moo is humming, 
Echo asks, what is that thing you're doing? And she's like, I don't know. It's and uh, so that was an, that was some, you know, that's some world building for you. Um, and, uh, you know, Echo says, well, maybe we could talk to another player. And so he pulls out his book and shows her. But he doesn't have to read the book. He has it memorized. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, he says, well, um, you know, I've also seen players that are not in the almanac. Um, and he sort of uh, remembers that bit that we see at the beginning of episode one that reminded me of uh, AKB 0048, the, the flashback to seeing the robot uh, in concert. And by the way, we all know that's Jimmy Stonefree, I think. Oh, it's, it's gotta be. You, you can't name drop Jimmy Stonefree. Jimi Hendrix playing Stonefree like that and have him not be a thing. But it what I'm be. curious, though, and it's not this is not really a talking point, but just more me doing some rampant speculation. Um, is Mew and are the... Uh, God, I forget their name. A, A2, 9, S2, B, fuck it. New Bouton. New Bouton. The new, the new Bouton. Like, are Mew and the New Bouton sisters clones of Jimmy Stonefree? Right, yeah. Covers, if you will. Uh-huh, sure. Um, highly possible. Uh, so, um, and this, this player that Echo saw is like Moo in that way, because Moo is also not in the almanac. Um, so while he's talking, uh, Moo falls asleep. And Echo uh, blushes, you know, because you see a cute girl sleep in an anime, then you got to have impure thoughts. That's just how it goes. Uh, then um, he has to uh, go to the bathroom. And there are no bathrooms, except, wait a minute, a bathroom appears. Perhaps. It, right. For, for, before we even begin, like, I understand that Echo is very innocent here, but it's the wilderness. Everywhere's a bathroom. <laughs> it's true. Come on. I mean, you know, this. I'm not saying that you should turn immediately into a Law of the Flies savage here, but, you know, like, never mind. I'm not even going to get into, like, the specifics of what to do here. We all know. We all know. Um, but yes, please describe the bathroom that appears conveniently out of nowhere. I mean... I think it's probably if there were um, if there were a bathroom in Tartarus. <laughs> I think this 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 is probably it's it's the most personal looking bathroom I've probably ever seen. I, I was I was personally thinking that I was glad to you know that um, Black Rock Shooters environment designer you know, oh, got some work boo. again. <laughs> boo. There's a deep there's a deep cut for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad you made me think of that. <laughs> I'm just enjoying this. I'm drinking your suffering like I'm drinking this oh. beer. Let me tell you this. It's delicious. Mm. So I think keep the visual, the really sort of abstract, uh, strange, uh, reason-defying structure of this particular Lou um, in your brain. Uh, and keep That certainly happened to me after some clubs I visited. Yeah. Keep, keep that <laughs> in your brain. And uh, and keep uh, let's do it a da-da in your brain. Um, oh, God. For um, later. I have to just say, by the way, right, as soon as I saw this bathroom, I was just like, ah, I've seen worse. <laughs> I mean, 
Did I? I'll tell you a quick story here from my club going days. Uh, and I say that because they will be back eventually. Fuck you, COVID. I will be going out drinking again in the future. Anyway, uh, so I once went to a club called TV 21s in Manchester, which is named after, uh, I think it's Century TV 21 from Jerry Anderson's various uh, works. Uh, you know, kind of like sci-fi, uh, nerd, pulpy bar kind of thing, with a downstairs basement club and a downstairs toilet. So it gets to like two o'clock in the morning, I go to the toilet, and there's a dude who unfortunately is, um, he isn't handling his drink very well, so he's trying to bath into the toilet. What he doesn't seem to realise, the toilet is giving as good as it gets, and the place starts to flood. So I I leave immediately. I just turn around, don't make a comment, close the door, I find my friends, and I said, um, we need to bail now. And they were like, why? And just to give you folks a bit of context here, like, the downstairs club was an enclosed room. It had a fire exit, of course, as you might expect, but the main exit for patrons was to go through a T-junction, uh, which led to the stairs up to the main floor. Uh, that T-junction was where the toilet was. So if the toilet floods, you are going to have to step through flood water in order to get out unless you're going by the fire exit. So I was just like, nope, we, we gotta go. We gotta make a break for it. And they were like, why? And then suddenly the music stops and they were like, could all uh, downstairs club patrons please immediately make your way to the top floor? And <laughs> I was walking past and the toilet was uh, obviously starting to flood and all it was starting to spill. I was like, nope, I'm out. I'm fucking out. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, uh, so yeah, uh, spooky toilet though this may be in listeners. I've seen some shit, believe me. And it's actually kind of fitting when you put it like that, you know, that... <laughs> Just stupid shit happens, you know, in clubs in general, and toilets are certainly one place they happen at. Well, you say you've seen some shit. I imagine anyone who's been into a toilet anywhere. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that was right. Bad. Pack that it was up. Super dumb. Pack it up. I'm sorry. Pack it up. This podcast <laughs> is over. Fuck it. We're going oh, home. There will be okay. no encore. There will be no refunds. Merch is available on the way out. Thanks. Good night. So. New, the new Balton appear, and they find Echo. Now, this weird bathroom is their creation, it would appear. Um, and then they seem very shocked to find these guys' dick out. <laughs> which, finally, they pay off that seed they planted in episode one. <laughs> and he actually does pulling his junk out. Um, uh, so, Moo is gone, uh, by the way. Uh, and... Uh, like, so, gosh, my notes are a little disorganized here. I have, where is Echo? A dead theme park with New Belton. Uh, and they- Amusement want... park from near Smarter OST starts playing. Uh-huh, yeah, that is, that is definitely, uh, like, this cannot continue, um, moment. So they, they, they want a new, uh, they want a new, they want to know about Moo's core part. You know, they ask, like, uh, is she the successor? Or is she just a remnant of the collapse? And of course, Echo doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, but sister, does the tin man or tin woman have a heart? And... and Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so uh, then he realizes who they are. The New Balton sisters. They are devotees of noise. And in my favorite comedic moment of the whole show so far, yeah, basically fanboys out. And it's like, oh my god, you are them. Like, 
give me a please autograph my blanket like my whole family will love this and it'll be the greatest moment of my life and they start freaking out um and the threatening kind of ominous music has gone away and the the sisters are just what a treasure they are at this point because I'm pretty sure the episode should be called the next line I have in my notes, which is in all caps. Stay calm. I have a pen. <laughs> like, and to, to do the autographs, I'm like, wait a minute. We have obtained the weapon of legend from before the apocalypse. The I, Sharpie. Do, do we sign him or does he write us? How does I really work? thought that, I was like, that was going places. I mean, I know that um, I've seen... Uh, bands sign, you know, women in places that, in hindsight, they maybe should have done, but then again, it was consent. I don't know. We can discuss the politics that a different day. So I was just like, where's this going? Because yes. he's innocent enough to do this. But it doesn't go there, thankfully. <laughs> no, they just sign as a blanket. And, like, I love when when the lead one is just like, stay calm. I have this. I have a pin. And they're like, oh, how, how, how prepared you are, Nesama. <laughs> Can you imagine how many villain plots would have fallen apart like in the past if they depended on a pen? Like it, It's just something so mundane that I find it very funny. Like, you know, okay, I'm about to take over the world, but the one thing I'm missing is a biro. Does anyone have one? Not one of you? Not one of you's got a fucking biro. We're like running this army and you haven't got a fucking biro. My God, we're useless. It feels like a Mitchell and Webb skit, basically. It does. And, <laughs> and they, they were like, you know, okay. Don't let him know. We don't know what's going on. Play it cool. Keep your cool no matter what. <laughs> like, it's so good. And uh, so it, it's sort of unclear to me, by the way, uh, and I think um, purposefully so, whether or not what is happening with Echo here is happening simultaneously with what is happening to Moo, or we really do get kind of a true chronological picture where a bit of Echo... And then he's knocked out, and a bit of Moo, and then she's gone, and a bit of Echo. It's, it's again. I I think you could read it maybe either way, but um, but I think that's like the vagueness there is by design or the ambiguity rather. If I had to guess, I think that the um, I really can't pronounce their name. I apologize so much. So I'm just again say A two and company. Uh, I think that part of their power is to project holograms. This wife. What I think happens is. When Echo arrives in the amusement park, and we also see all of the abandoned apartment complexes, it's not a case that they're creating the illusion of those, but rather the illusion of them being hidden has disappeared for a moment, and he gets to see things as they really are. Hmm. I wasn't sure about that because, like, I know in the beginning we get all that talk from the old men about Merle Forest, and I feel like that's sort of setting up the kind of wilderness they've wandered into now. Yeah, but that was also in the context of them speaking about uh, the earless, you know, like coming, taking away naughty children. It was all folklore. Well, that was not, not what they said. Truth. That wasn't what they said. They said they were former humans. And Swell Oh, sorry, I, mi- said, I, mis- I misremembered. Yeah, Swell's the one who said they take away naughty, and Swell said, no, 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 they're not former, but it turns out they actually are. So what else ought we to believe about what those old men were saying? To me, it seems a lot like folklore, though. I mean, the funny thing is that what the old men say is in direct contrast with what uh, the Van Houten sisters are. Have you printed? I, I said Van Houten, like they were the Millhouse's sisters, which they're not. <laughs> um, but whatever they say, you know, like this is a direct contrast with them. But I'm of well, the opinion. That... So go. I mean, I think we'll learn that what they say is compatible with many different 
viewpoints. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, I, I think we ought not to be so rigid in sort of interpreting what they say to mean like these things, these hard and fast realities. Oh, they're definitely fast and loose to the truth, but I'd argue they're closer to it than the uh, old gentlemen are. We we shall see. We shall mm-hmm. see because they were definitely right about the 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 list of the not listeners the earless being former humans. Um, they mm. were on the money with that, and so I think mm. like uh, Merle Forrest is so yeah. But I think that's an interesting way though to to see to, like if if you kind of view what the New Bowton sisters are doing as revealing to you the true surroundings or projecting fake ones um yep well it's what they do with echo like they they have the power it's established later in the fight between them and mew that they very clearly have the power to create uh illusions and holograms uh, mm-hmm. which funnily enough fits you know the rock show aesthetic you know that that's not unheard of these days it's how you know tupac came back to life so right good for him right Sure. But I guess the question then would be for if what you're saying, I think we both agree. I think everyone would agree they have the power to create illusions, but do they also have the power to um, uh, show the truth and unmake illusions that are caused by other beings? Or are you saying that the desolate wilderness that they fell into was itself an illusion created by the New Bowson sisters from the beginning? I would say that seems possible. Not entirely certain, though, because they were following them, remember? And we don't currently have a hard limit on how their powers work. We'll find that out, of course, in due time. But to me, it seems the most likely explanation. Because if the U.S., as you say, like, you know, that there is some other force at work that's keeping the world hidden, seems a slightly more implausible. But then again, it would also I tie agree. with the whole... It would also tie with the whole, like, maze runner kind of thing, you know, like, well, there's this thing over here, and we know this from our history, which is only, like, hundreds no, of years yeah, old. I, are, so. yeah. I, no, I'm I'm agreement with you. I think applying Occam's razor here, that the simplest solution is that they showed him illusions, not that they dispelled illusions and showed him the truth. Because um, that means their powers would have to be working for the shortest amount of time. Um, why show him the apartment blocks in the, I mean we, the thing is we see the apartment blocks later in a shot well, why, why show, show him a dead theme park I mean I think that there's like that's what I'm saying the dead theme park is real but, but rather it was hidden before but just entirely by forest mm, I mean I think it has to do with what I think it's an aesthetic choice that has to do with um, what informs their character Right, well, that's my £5 note on the table. Bets on. Let's go. Okay, okay. So why do you yeah, think I'm, it was... I, why do you think the theme park was real and hidden by forest or whatever? Um, an illusion, like, you know. The way I see it... I mean, why, like, like, what's the... Like, what's the narrative point? Well, uh, an idea behind this episode is the unknown and the fear of it. Um, and also, like, the mythologizing of, you know, like, how the earless, like, eat up children and things I mentioned before. Um, and how we get two different mythologies presented, one of which by the sisters, uh, the other by the old men. Um, so, for me, like, it, firstly, it makes sense that if this is a post-apocalypse that there would still be, like, you know, 
buildings and ruins around. They wouldn't simply just be entirely taken over by forest. So that's one thing. Um, <clears throat> but I guess second, it depends like, on where know, you were. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. if you were on um, in the middle of a train route between cities, it's very possible to assume that there wouldn't be anything between them. That's why you need the train, right? Well, there'd be stops along the way. Um, well, also, when Moo finds Echo, he's just in the forest and not in a theme park or there are no buildings around. They could have put the illusion back up. Because mm. so they, is... they were showing they were showing her illusions, remember? They were showing her, like, Echo being held up on a giant, like, you know, I don't even know what you would call it, yeah. but they basically fuck with her head to make her think that she's killed him when she obviously hasn't. Sure. So... They definitely, that's what things. I mean. They definitely show illusions. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I just think it's less assumptions to, in, anyway, this is, we're hair splitting here, but. Um, At least you have hair split. No. <laughs> Bastard. So, um, oh gosh. Okay, so where were we? We were at the point where they confront Moo um, after the, the fan, the, 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 the fanboy session. So um, they're going to become someone with Mu because they happened upon an element of him. Become as gods. Accepting... Sorry. It's okay. No. Accepting unconsciousness, uh, collective unconsciousness, I believe they say as well, mm-hmm. is their philosophy. And this makes sense because they love and sort of are the personification of noise. Both, like, I think the musical style and just sort of... Uh, noise like like just kind of chaotic noise and that is what uh oh so country music that is what echo said i think earlier um that they are the devotees of noise um and you know this again is something that i'm gonna get into uh a little bit later so and then we get uh while x3 and robots um we found out that moo can make a robot on her own she doesn't actually need um echo to to do it which again i thought was surprising um again this is like one of the handful of moments in this episode where i was like oh i thought i knew how kind of this world worked at least a little bit but i very much do not um you know that that thing is interesting though because i do wonder if that'll come back later um where i can see a scene for example where i don't know what the inciting incident would be but Mu gets very angry at echo and says look I don't need you. I just need the equipment. I had to avoid saying your equipment then because that would have come off. <laughs> the tone of that joke would have been uh, a bit questionable. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I, like, what is Echo bringing to this journey here? He's bringing the thing he's made and he has some responsibility for it. He may be in repairing it and doing the upkeep. But, you know, that could be an angle to explore, certainly, now that's established that. Mm-hmm. So, um,. They they sort of beat down uh, Moo here by controlling the earless, um, which again another like what players can control the earless what what because they're players they're in the player almanac, um, and that's crazy. Uh, we don't know shit. I have in my notes, um, and they sort of uh, as she is being uh, kind of piled on by the earless. The new Bowson sisters are telling her, you know, you know, a player makes themselves heard. Uh, a player 
uh, expresses their conviction for all to hear, but we hear nothing from you. You don't even have a sense of pride. Um, and we learn that the earless are in fact people, the New Baltons uh, say, that the old men were right, that uh, they are failed players or half men, you know, hence the episode title. Um, they are as... It's about the not half biscuit. They are not half biscuit. Or actually, we don't know. They could turn out to be half biscuit. Um, black fuzzy biscuit. Um, moldy biscuit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so uh, the New Bowsons say that they are opposed to players, but they are of the same underlying substance. So Moo is about to mount a counterattack, but she uh, sort of has this mental image, uh, almost against her will, like ca- called to the front of her mind of a dude that appears to be Super Saiyan 3, um, and she collapses <laughs> and as you would do if you thought of the super saiyan 3 form because it's hideous um and the new bouts are into this guy they're like oh he's the dude like he's the one that the, the what we were talking about the pieces of dude of, he's the yeah. king of ruin <laughs> yeah he's like the one who like we thought you were a piece of him or like um you're an mm. echo of him or whatever. Um, a clone, you might say. Sure, sure. Um, so let me scroll down. Uh, echo then kind of comes back into the scene as he's held up on a sort of makeshift cross-esque thing, I think is meant to refer uh, th- that to that symbol. Um, he's threatened to be turned into an earless, but Moo tells them that they don't get to decide who she is and she has a power burst that they are a fan of the new Baltons. And then she punches uh, out uh, without naming her attack. Still, she hasn't taken the advice. Uh, she punches back at, uh, at the earless, but um, is either it's, it's hard to say whether or not it, the earless or echo was an illusion. Maybe do we get later that it was echo that was the illusion here? I'm I, I echo is definitely the illusion because okay. we see at the okay, end okay. that he gets up and if, if he, he gets punched up and by that, that's right. Like, so ah, my ribs. Yeah, I, right. So she thinks she's punched him and wounded him, and that distresses Moo greatly to the point that she's overwhelmed then by the earless. They sort of descend on her, and then the new Bowtons say, "Welcome to the world of the players." And Echo awakes, sees the green fading light of Moo. Um, going away, I think, and then a red ball of light descending, and it is a new robot. And then end of episode. Yep, that's uh, Jimmy Stonefreeze, if I'm not mistaken. It could be the Mr. Stonefree himself. How exciting, making his debut here. All right, now that we've finished summarizing, uh, Shadon, why don't you read our uh, patron question from the um, indubitable Kate Rose. I certainly will. So, uh, the first of which, uh, why do you think players fear the earless? Ooh. <clears throat> well, the answer that I will give for this actually ties into one of my wider talking points. Um, so here, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think that the earless are actually meant to be a riff, if you will, on mindless fandom. You know, you've got the people aspiring to become players, but who fail and instead are doomed only to be fans of, like, those who actually have succeeded. But they have, like, no personality to them. They're just completely and utterly, like, you know, base and running on instincts. Like, I think that that is a... uh, 
I think that's what this is going for here. Like, I think one of the Van... Bounces, as I can't pronounce the name properly, I'm so sorry. I think one of the sisters actually says as much in, like, you know, their uh, speech to Moo. Um, this is admittedly not developed much in the episode proper, but it's going to be, I hope, if it is a thing, something it touches on in more detail as we go along here. Um, and on the more simple answer, if it's not that, well, it's said that, you know, that uh, players become, you know, can become earless if they fail. So if that's a continual threat that they face, then maybe that's a part of it. That's a, that's a really interesting theory. Um, gosh, I guess I could see it. Yeah, I could see. I guess you going that way. I I don't know. I mean, on a very basic level, you know, players are the the ones that make music that make sound and. The earless would be ones who can't be communicated or affected at all by by the sound, at least not in the traditional ways we would think about. And so I guess what the kind of idea that I had that I was thinking um, while watching the episode is um, that they possess some kind of either immunity or just a strong resistance to what works for players. And so it's like being a player, you know, being an, an instrument of, of song or music seems to be um, core to like who they are. And here you have these beings that um, just are totally uh, like that dimension of reality doesn't exist for them. And so it's like, how do you even relate to them? Like, how crazy, uh, how strange uh, and un... Uh, if I can't communicate with them, I can't affect them at all. There's no kind of control or relationship I could really have with them. So just thinking about it etymologically is is the only thing I was thinking. But I think your theory is actually kind of interesting. Well, if you think about it, like, you know, Mew actually describes the uh, the list as an audience, and they swarm all over, or they try to swarm all over her, and in turn, you know, they do so later on. You know, there are times when fans go too far, when they don't respect the other, the boundaries that otherwise should exist between perform between artist and fandom. Um, so I think that that might be a part of it. Uh, we'll see though. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily go for that kind of deep examination here. Um. But the funny thing is, I think that this is also relevant because I think it ties back to something about Echo as well. Although I'm going to get to that when we discuss him specifically because there's a lot to talk about with regards to the Almanac and also with regards to the uh, moment of humour uh, involving him recognising the New Barton sisters. Thank you very much for the uh, off-screen save for that, Doc. Um, <laughs> which I think actually uh, explains a lot about some other, something else this show is going for. But we'll come to that in a bit. But yeah, like it could be just simply as, as simple as, uh, you know oh, look what you could potentially become if you fail. Like, it's all that kind of thing you see in a lot of fantasy or sci-fi tropes where these people were, you know, the Guardians once, but then they lost their way. I mean, if you play Doom Eternal, basically the uh, earless of the Marauders. There you go. Enjoy that reference. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I would hope it's something more about, like, you know, mindless fandom. That could be a thing. I would like that if it was developed more. Well, Kate, thank you for that. Is there another part to Kate's question? I couldn't remember if she sent in more. There than is one. indeed. Okay, I thought so. Yes. 
Yeah. Do you think Jimmy Stonefree was the player Echo saw, and is that the same one who seems to haunt Moo? Yes and yep. yes. Yes. I am willing I am willing to bet that all of the players we've seen thus far, because one of the things I should know is apart from the poppy one, like they all have similar hair, like I would be willing to bet if it's also another riff on like the industry, that they are all clones of Jimmy Stonefree because, you know, well, that's how music works in the industry. Like, we don't hey. innovate, really. You know, we only try and copy what's been done before and maybe put a slight twist on it. I mean, the British indie, like, music industry in general is incredibly guilty of that. How many bands can you name from, like, the mid-2000s onwards whose name began with the? Very many. More, th- more than probably should exist. To the point where some of them don't even really exist anymore, but are known more as, like, you know basically advertising music like the fratellis for example <laughs> like chelsea dagger like that that was a one-hit wonder for them but now it really only exists to sell wine and like you know yeah i don't know mortgages or some shit um, i hope i hope that that those people that made the song and not some company are are getting royalty monies from it still oh i'm sure they are I, I know. Uh, I, 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 I'm sure it's going to like fucking maybe Capitol not as much as they should be, shit. perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that would be my other thing. I mean, this kind of like you know we're clones and stuff. I mean, we talked about Evangelion earlier and such with Eureka right, Seven. That's right. Uh, so it's not it's non heard of, and we can already see some similarity between how Mew looks versus how the Newbarton sisters look. I mean, it's right there visually at the very least. But it would make sense for this, like the whole idea of music, you know, and the industry and whatnot, if that's what they're going for, for, you know, Mew to just be another cover. I mean, come on, her name is literally number 12. So how many, like, variations have come before this? Yeah. Just saying. I guess, like, if Jimmy Stonefree is... Yeah. I mean, anything's possible. There's, there's, It would just be so much speculation if Jimmy was, I mean, the, like, the original... Jimmy's, yeah. If he's, like, the original one... Like, if he's the Geralt of this world, you know, making that joke again. If, if yeah, I, it's like, shouldn't he be older than? I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. This is total speculation. It doesn't. Yeah, that's. Let's just let's go with that for now and say this is a good working theory. It would be deeply ironic though, because Jimmy Stonefree of himself as a character on a meta level is already a riff. You know, a very obvious riff at that on Jimi Hendrix and Stonefree. So it would be kind of... I don't know how I'd feel about that in the end, but that's a thing, certainly. We shall yeah, see. Yeah, that's my, that's my feeling. That not only is that yes to both of your questions there, Kate, but it's going to turn out that, you know, send in the clones! Fucking Frank's all over again. Just hopefully oh, not shit. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Look, well... I'm, I'm joking. When I say it's like <laughs> Frank's again, what I really mean is I can see the broad, like, strokes... But hopefully, you know, it isn't, well, smeared in crap like it was with Franks. So, hey. Right. um, I think that brings us to the end of our Patreon. So unless you have anything to add on that particular point that I've not mentioned? Not really. I mean, I I would also say yes to both of her uh, questions there. Um, Like I said, so thank you very much, Kate, for sending in Patreon questions. If you out there would like to send us a question, um, it's really easy. Uh, you subs- go to patreon.com slash show and subscribe at the $3 tier and you'll be able to submit questions in our Discord channels um, 
related to the shows that we're covering. There's one called Questions for the Stream, and you pop the questions in there, and we have to answer them, no matter how ridiculous they are. We have to give them serious consideration. Or Can't wait for the one that asks, you know, which of our favorite new Bowser systems is, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which one's your favorite? Uh, or... The one that's with the white hair and the strange voice, or the one with the white hair and the strange voice? I don't know about you, Dob, but I really can't decide. Uh, the lead one. Just she made the funny, the pin gag was really good. I'm fairly certain the lead one, by the way, her her seiyu or voice actress is the lady who voiced uh, K-Guy in Thunderbolt Fantasy. I Ooh. She has a very distinctive voice, and I feel like I should know her name, but I don't. So I think maybe there's a trip to Mal after this podcast. Get on that, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you you do that, and you can ask us these questions, and we will answer them uh, and give them consider. And and it could be a really you could make us do a whole bunch of research, and then we'd have to do that. So no one's taken no one no one has gone that direction yet, but it could happen. Um, and thank you to Kate again and all our lovely patrons that support us. Uh, we appreciate Hell all yeah. of you. So um, now we will move on to talking points, where we will discuss the details of this episode, get into the nitty gritty. Um, so I think my biggest talking point is to do with not the episode necessarily, but like kind of culture informing the episode. So hmm. I perhaps I do you mind if I go first and then you can yes. have several here. So. Okay, so I just, I I thought this was really interesting, um, kind of what the New Bauten sisters are about. Uh, that's a German word, by the way, that means new building. Um, and so they, I think there's a, a lot of things, a lot of different um, cultural, it's really the kind of a similar or the same cultural movement, honestly, but like a lot of different strains of pop culture that inform these ladies here um start with uh dadaism because they do say you know let's do it a dada and they they use the word dada a couple different times in the episode and so dadaism is by the way a 20th century i believe is when it got its start um art movement although it's not like credited to any one single person or group of people it's almost like a standalone complex right where it just sort of emerges uh in its collective form and mm. this is this group of this these ideas are really kind of take hold right and um and it's really it's really tied to surrealism um in a lot of ways but it is there's not really a way f to distinguish it necessarily formally because uh there are dadaist works of painting music architecture Toilet design. Uh, any, yeah, right. Any, yes. Well, the famous, the most famous one, right, is the fountain. That's a urinal. Um, oh, that I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are you Duchamps? telling me that was what the? Oh my god, is that what this was referencing? I, I think at least in part. If well, I need to, I need to point out, like, it's a funky looking toilet, but it doesn't look like there's anywhere for Echo to actually, you know drain the sea monster into i think when you knowing what dadaism is about that sort of makes it perfect because the ideas that inform dadaism were like very kind of tied to post-structuralist philosophy and postmodern philosophy is eschewed rational structures 
eschewed uh, logical forms, uh, very anti-capitalist, anti-bourgeoisie. And so, yeah, like, the works were often, again, like I said, close to surreal, like, oftentimes very abstract, but sometimes very much not, just sort of giving the middle finger, as it were, to uh, rules, norms, um, those kinds of things, because it really, like... what this kind of art is meant to do like and it's a, a lot of things like people would look at like the mona lisa with a mustache or the fountain that's a urinal and be like this is not art like you know fuck this it's not pretty but like it's meant to be like provoking you to think about things like well you're sort of assuming a list of kind of rules for what makes a thing good but like why are those the case? Whose rules? Who do they benefit? Mm. Um, and more than for what makes good art, like sort of norms of society, like structures in general, logic and, and rationality, like the whole idea of like something being like true, like for whom and why? And again, who does it benefit? Um, that is sort of those strains of thought lie i think at the core of dadaism and it is really really i think a smart move on the show very clever sort of stroke to um say that these sisters are kind of the personification of the musical genre noise because what is noise if not like sort of just noise right what like what is that if not the eschewing of things like melody and song structure and Mm. chords and uh and things like that um so this is quite kind of uh clever to bring in the whole noise deal here and this is why i part part of why i think that like the bathroom and the theme park are um not really there they're both kind of illusions being projected because they're almost like dadaist art installations mm. because just put my their... chips on the table by the way i definitely do think the the toilet does not exist as presented <laughs> <laughs> yeah a toilet without a place to go to the bathroom that has Unless stairs on the wall a lot of glue uh-huh like it's it's a tremendous like piece and and well if you you know google dadaism like you'll definitely see some pieces that sort of gesture towards that or remind you of that a little bit and um you know but there's more right there's not just like the painting that's going on like so new Balton, they're called new Balton sisters and uh i believe that since the show is so musically inclined and since the show sort of you know it's talked about oasis which is digging back into the the 90s um so i'm gonna say that the show is not afraid to dig back into the late 80s um or no the early 80s even um there is a german experimental band that is called um i'm gonna try to pronounce this here um einsturzende new mountain Ah. which means collapsing new buildings. And now why, another reason I think that this is a reference to that is not just the word new Balton, but the fact that like 
everything about the band and their approach lines up with Dadaism and lines up with, I don't know, some of the things we've seen in the show. Like, so this is a group, again, that um, made their instruments from scraps. Like, oh. like we've seen Echo do. He made his equipment from scraps, right? Um, and uh, this German group... Um, yeah, would just use busted instruments or parts to make their their um their own instruments, and their logo. You you might be familiar with their kind of logo. It's um iconography from, or it's just drawings from from cave paintings. In fact, I think Henry Rollins has their logo tattooed on his arm. Um, and those mm. masks that the New Bowden sisters are wearing. The designs on there are definitely riffs on the um, Einsterzende Neubauten logo. So, ah. yeah. And and so this German group is connected to um, more uh, also more overtly Dadaist bands in style. Like, um, I believe the one of the founding members of Throbbing Gristle just passed away. Um, it was this avant-garde musical group from the 70s. And it also used like broke instruments and furniture and walls like to play the music. And it was very anarchic. Again, F structure, right? F um, form and rules and norms. Um, why? Because we're, you're meant to think about like not just what that means for music, but like extrapolate that into the bigger world, like the absurdity of life and why things are the way they are. Like it's mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's again been so a- so so the uh the, the joke here is tired status quo wired thinking about the status quo uh, yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> yes and so throbbing gristle by the way would do things like masturbate on stage which i thought was like important to say due to the comedy in the show <laughs> like and the things that you this <laughs> explains <laughs> so much um did they have a splash zone designated yeah. there, like in SeaWorld? <laughs> I hope they did. Oh god. Um But uh But yeah, but the 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 band's performances in both cases, really, I think. You these are not these are not bands that you'd buy a CD of, right? They're bands that you would go see live because it would almost be like going to an art installation. Because you'd see this completely unique thing that would never be replicated, and it would be about the ideas and not about the music. The music could be whatever; it could be terrible. But like, so I, I wanted to make people aware of all these like different undercurrents throughout like the 20th century uh, that are informing what these characters are from the fact that they are devotees of noise to the things that they are saying maybe not making a lot of sense to them showing crazy bathrooms or uh, dilapidated theme parks to the symbols on their masks like it's it's reference you know we've already seen that this show has a heavy hand when it comes to references and i think all this is like again referencing all these really interesting uh pop culture like the all these sort of um ideas and movements and 
uh, th- they inform what these characters are about. Like they are, I think, these anti-structuralist, absurd characters fundamentally, and I think mm. that that like because they're based on all that, I think that that it would serve us well to read them in that way. Else, why are they? Why would they be based on all these different? things you know else we should you know if if not for us to kind of read them as ciphers for those ideas um yeah um i agree with you but there's a thing that i feel i have to throw a note of caution out here regarding uh, not about anything you've actually said because i know nothing about dadaism this is the first i've heard of it so i'm glad that you you're here to educate me on that but the thing that I'm concerned about is the application of the show, because make no mistake, if you had to pick any, like, thing, any one person or group of people out as the villains of the show thus far, it's the uh, New Bowton sisters, mm-hmm. who are the anti-structuralist, anti-conformist ones, which seems to be what Echo was aiming for originally, like, you know, in getting away from this, like, not conforming, sticking to the status quo, you know, getting away from his humdrum life of rummaging in garbage... But the villains are the ones who also have the same philosophy. Is it going to be a question, therefore, of how you go about applying it? Um, so, yeah, I I like where you're going with that. I like all the ideas behind it. But I'm curious if that doesn't quite make sense in the show's execution so far. What? But we'll see. Yeah, well, I think you might be... I think... So think about what Echo wants in a different way than just... Not oh, he wants to, you know, not nah, no. he wants <laughs> No, think about like his nonconformism and like getting out of his town. Like, follow. Let's follow through with that idea. Like, he wants, or, or his thing now that he's attached to Mu is, let's sort of not do the whole look down, don't look up. Like, just do your work. Or it's like get out and see the world. Let's like not. Uh, conform to those other ways let's like find a new way so he wants to find a new way a different and better way of living and the new Bowton sisters the philosophy undergirding those characters would say there is no way ways are illusory the whole idea of a way to live that could be Mm. good or right is um just a fabrication and an absurdity that's more interesting then, because it's in theory an answer to or a response to what Echo has gone through uh, in his youth and what he's grown into, but it's not the right one. Uh, but it's still an answer; it's an alternative. So I'd be curious to see if that's something that he might be lured into later on and recognize is not the uh, correct way forward. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that gets applied as we go along. Definitely. Yeah, and I just wanted to like. Like I said, just put all that out there and everything, and that's that's my main talking point for the show. And I know that some people in our Discord were sort of like nonplussed by these characters; they didn't really do anything for them. And I think, you know, reading just a, a smidge about like Dadaism or um, Einsteinende, New Bauten, you know, maybe maybe even Throbbing Gristle, um, or other things associated with these like movements would like help just be like a touchstone for again what the it and it always helps me to like have some kind of like 
if I just have no idea about a character, like what's up? Like I would, I would sure love some kind of like something like some touchstone for what's informing them, like some kind of guiding mm-hmm. light here. And, and hopefully all this information can serve as that to help you like contextualize what their role in the story might be. And that they're not just like zany for zaniness's sake that I think that they're doing that's, something more. That's important. my hope. Yeah. All right. Um, well then, let me get on to my talking points. So the first one I want to bring up um, is regards to the almanac uh, from the scene at the campfire. And you might recall my criticism of the first episode in that I was like, okay, Echo's telling us this is how it is, like, you know, but we don't have any evidence of that. Now, when I said he's telling us that and that doesn't count, what I mean to say is it's not simply, you know, that he's saying it, but rather that he's being completely didactic about it. Like, I am what I am. And we needed more evidence of that, of what externally has forced him in that way. Or rather, we need to see behaviors that corroborate with that rather than just him simply telling us it as it is, you know? Um, like, for example, saying, you know, that you're a very angry person doesn't automatically prove anything. Like, you know, but it's your behaviors uh like you know and how you react to people that might prove or disprove that theory and the almanac to me is really really neat here because echo knows that almanac page to page word to word back to front and this tells me two things the first of which is i think it ties potentially into my overall theory about the idea of mindless fandom and the threat that he might end up becoming an earless himself because he can recite all of the you know information about the players but does he actually understand any of it does he have any meaning that he can derive from any of it you know is it is it just simply a point of fascination for fascination's sake for him uh indeed the very fact that he recognizes the new Bowson sisters um is a strength in a way which i'll get to when i get to my second talking point but they are very clearly not the people like you know that he idolizes in the um in the almanac, they, you know, they put Boo through hell in this episode. Yeah. So you can't believe what he can't believe what he's read. He has to come to his own decision eventually on what they've done. Um, but the second thing is consider that he knows the almanac back to front. What does that tell you about what he's done with his spare time when he's been living doing this, you know, scavenging work through this junkyard? He's probably had nothing else to do. Nothing else that interests him in the slightest. Nothing else even he could potentially do. That's all the entertainment he's ever been able to derive. And this, like, subtle realisation, this, uh, in, you know, implication from him reading the almanac all the way through and knowing it word by word, off by heart, like it's his Bible. Uh, I thought this was not only great for, like, you know, the humour of it, that he knew it, but also for all the implications that came through it and how it informed his character. It did so much retroactive like justification for what he said to us in episode one that that's part of the reason why I've U-turned so much. And it didn't require any laborious exposition or anything like that. It was all completely inferable from, you know, him simply knowing that back to front as he does and what it means for both, like, you know, his past and also potentially the pitfalls of his future. So really neat on them for doing that. Um, I thought that was pretty, pretty good. And it also, funny enough, also shows his, uh, the gaps in his knowledge, because there are players who are indeed not in the almanac, like me, which perhaps is part of why he's so fascinated by her. Because here's someone he has no knowledge of or understanding whatsoever, because it literally was not in the one book that he's read back to front, for, like, probably for most of his years, like, since he picks it up for the first time. 
Yeah, and every edition, right? I mean, I think he said that they release one every year, and when he he gets the new one and learns all the new facts by heart. Um, yeah, this was. I a... thought that the I thought the almanac he had was the only one. I think it's the newest. Like, is he one. literally scavenged? But uh, he scavenged the the almanac up in the uh, in the I think the prologue or part like before he found Mew. Essentially, like I think that that was something he found in the junk. He didn't literally get it like delivered to his door. Mm. Well, my understanding was that was the only one. Well, he does say in the episode that they release that there are annual updates for it, and I maybe, thought he maybe said that he, he memorizes know, them maybe, somehow. Maybe he knows of the updates, but has never actually seen any of the could, others. Yeah, could be, could be. Uh, like I said, but at any rate, it was like a, like you said, a really nice um, and like kind of efficient uh, character moment that we got for him with that, and you know, it is. Uh, good kind of ideas happening here that like you know if like his understanding of all these people is just a reference entry just which is just kind of a really flat understanding and you know his his brain his mind has like just taken what is in this book and like made it into well, I mean, he idolizes all these people, you know what I mean? Just because he's read all this stuff in a reference book. And I don't know, kind of in some ways, it's like, if you think about the ideas that the new Bowson sisters are about, and then through that prism, look at how Echo is interacting with this book, it is interesting because, like, um, he has, like, made these players into these almost godlike figures again like just idolizes all of them like he he has done that like the book didn't do that but like he just sort of has taken all these ideas and made them his own and is is living out what he's done with those ideas in this totally unique fashion that is not like i don't know not everybody is going to do that sort of thing and it's his scripture, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just like again, I guess it, instructive that like when he meets them, it's it's not even necessarily true that what may be in the reference book is false about them, but again, it's just this really flat, single kind of uh, aspect of what they are. It was just some pieces of information didn't really prepare well, I, him for the reality that like well they could be they could want to hurt you <laughs> yeah well i can demonstrate that to you right now with actual an actual real life example uh my favorite you know musical whipping post axel rose because if you watch any of guns and roses classic music videos would you have any idea whatsoever about what a complete and utter snake axel rose is no, you wouldn't really. Say for watching the, uh, you know, You Could Be Mine episode where, an episode, sorry, a video where, you know, uh, Arnie is the Terminator, rightly assumes that Axl Rose is a waste of ammo at the end as an in-joke. I'm like, ha ha that's the most on point he's ever been about himself. Um, but yeah, like, the history of Guns N' Roses, like, you know, of all the arguments that they had between Axl and Slash and the rest of them, um, I don't have the full documentation here. I can assess firsthand having seen Guns N' Roses uh, when... They played at one of the download festivals. I think it was in 2008. Uh, it might have been earlier than that, potentially. It's quite a while ago. Uh, 
God, he was such a prick on stage. Like, the idea that he, you know, the image that is cultivated of a um, of a performer versus how they are in reality, they're very different. And indeed, how many times have we also seen performers who have private lives, or even very public ones? I mean, Pete Doherty from The Libertines is the one that immediately springs mm. to mind, in my view. Um, you know, of all the stuff that he did and then the formation of Baby Shambles. Um, I have a friend of mine who knows far much more about this than I do, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, like, what essentially is happening with Echo and the Almanac here is that he is, in his own way, becoming a kind of mindless fan. He fetishizes, like, you know, knowledge and all of it, you know, and reverence for the players, but he has no appreciation of who they are as actual people or that, like actual people, they might not have his best interests at heart. I mean, for all that, you know, the old folks say that the A-lists are going to devour, like, you know, children or that, it's, like, they're just really more of a force of nature than anything else. It's the Nubata sisters who actually take, like, you know, great pleasure in putting Mu through real pain, this one, by faking the thing that she's turned him into, you know, floor pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, just a bloody smear. So that in of itself would be interesting to see how much over time he realizes that the almanac was the beginning of his understanding and not the end of it. Totally. But that also then ties into my second point, which I'll get to in just a moment. But do you have anything you want to add on that, Doc, before I move on? I mean, not really. Like a lot of a lot of kind of half-baked thoughts, honestly. Things like, well, like the <laughs> you know, the 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 form of the book is <laughs> that he got sort of contributed to uh his own fascination i'm i'm not sure that he that um echo will uh be like threatened to become an earless because he he doesn't really want to be a player i don't really know if he has the ability he doesn't have a jack you know what i mean so he can't uh he can't aspire to be a player. I, I, I think it's more allegorical in that case. He won't become an alias literally, but he will become like them, you know, fawning over... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, like Mew, for example, without any real thought to it. Gotcha. Um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, yep. proceed. So, so next point. Let me talk about comedy. Uh, I complained about the comedy in the previous episode as being incredibly rote, and I suppose I should explain myself a bit more. Like, to me... In the previous episode, and indeed with the instant this one, which Mu throws the uh, teacup at him, like, that to me doesn't really count as subversion of expectations. You could say, like, oh, he wasn't really, you know, like, actually getting his dick out, it was just the almanac, but the end result was still the same tired shit I've seen before, of Gil gets angry, Gil physically assaults him in response, you know, oh, why did this happen, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And that still happens in this episode. And that's still not good in my opinion, but what this episode shows is that the writers are very capable of doing good comedy based on subversion of expectations or just in, you know, through the language of filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned, for example, the, you know, I'll never get bored. I'm bored. Like, that's a good joke. It's a different that's joke. A, that's a, <laughs> Which yeah, it's like a different that. joke. It's a good one as well because it's constructed around, like, the idea of a cut to show the passage of time. Like, that... In reality, it's taken a couple of hours for Mew to feel that way, but it's juxtaposed with the suddenness of how it appears in the episode proper. Like, oh, it really didn't take her that long when you think about it. Yeah. Whoops. Oh, <laughs> um, I would be remiss, by the way, if I didn't mention that they are in what appears to be a Volkswagen-like touring van. I've seen, like, the kind that you take to the beach, which I'm fairly sure is, like, a classic touring vehicle for, like, indie bands back in the day. I, I mean, there's no way that was there by accident on top of the train, I'm just saying. Um, but the next one, 
This episode goes out of its way to establish that Echo is afraid of certain things, specifically the dark, um, and also then the airless in general. Um, as by the you know the campfire tales that the old folks tell him at the start, and then what his sister says in turn. So we have that set, and then of course he's a bit scared of like you know going for a leak, um, and then he meets the Nubar sisters, and the way the scene plays out, you think he's about to literally lose his shit from fear, but no, he immediately starts grinning from ear to ear, and he's like, <gasps> "You're my favorite." So good. I mean, but which you're all my favorites. Every one of them is my favorite. By like, you're all great. I, and that in of itself was really, really funny. I really liked that a lot. But what I also really appreciate about this moment is how instructive it was and how informative it was about Echo's character. Because what he is actually afraid of is not specifically the dark or the airless. What he's afraid of is the unknown. Like, he recognizes New Balance Sisters even though to be quite honest, they appear in a very fresting manner by creating this weird, like, you know, ass-backwards toilet, like, you know, that he, ha- you know, just wants to take a leak in and then, like, you know, start cackling at him and all that. But he recognizes him as something familiar from the Almanac. Like, he's still very much a child in that way. So what we're seeing here is that you know, how this journey is actually quite a big leap for him because he is literally leaving the familiar. That's why he was so insistent on, you know, staying initially, um in the first episode yeah so this is a great scene because not only is it legitimately funny in its own right but it also tells us more about him as a person and you know adds some more texture to the fact that no those scenes of him being afraid of the dark were not simply for kicks they're more to like you know add specific uh things like you know to the wider issue which is he's just spooks about the unknown that he doesn't understand like he doesn't understand he's very much like looking for his comfort blanket which in this case is his knowledge that comes from the Almanac, even though, as we learn, the knowledge in the Almanac is, hey, this is a cool band. Guess what? They're all completely and utterly evil. (laughs) So, yeah, I really, really like that as well for, like, how, again, teachers about him, and it's funny. It's just such a complete U-turn from the tepid shit of the first episode. Mm -hmm. And again, that's still kind of here now. I didn't care for the teacup throwing symbol. I've seen this a thousand fucking times, honestly. But it just goes to show that there is much more potential to the writing team that here than, you know, I otherwise would give them credit for based on the first episode. And it's made me feel a lot more interested in the show proper. Yeah, like... I agree that the the sex comedy stuff did not land as well with me this time. Because um, it felt... Uh, just not as good, but also more of the same that we had already seen. Um, which I'm again not saying you have to write a new novel joke every episode, but like it just felt like the exact same thing, and not like you have to try at least. Not like a fun running gag sort of way either, but like um, and I'm not. I'm again as like I said last time, I'm not above laughing at that stuff. I thought it was I enjoyed it in the first episode, but. When they did it here, there was just something about it that was, again, where it was coupled with um, her, like, w- sort of secretly wanting him to like her, like, that just sort of um, rubs me the wrong way. But, like, those other instances you mentioned are great. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would say that the new Balton sisters are quote-unquote evil. 
I think that they're, well, okay. they're definitely I, the antagonists. I, from, at, at least I use that as now. a very broad term, yeah. like, to be quite honest. Sure. Um, I mean, I mean, evil's a bad term to describe it, but I was more referring into the sense that, I mean, come on, they literally mind fucks new in, new, sorry, new yeah. in this episode. Uh, that they, is a... They do... They ain't it, chief, yeah. as they say. <laughs> <laughs> they do the bad. Um, they, they are... Yeah, they definitely are are not good either. They are uh, they are chaotic uh, entirely. Um, but uh, but I think I know I agree with you on the comedy being quite good overall. This episode for sure that the whole fan fanboy stuff like was tremendous. It it ruled, and uh, I'm just hoping they deliver on it now. I, I mean, I want them to do something more with it where. I mean, it's fair to say that Echo eventually is going to come round to the idea that Nubasa sisters are, you know... Bad news. Hey, they might... They're, <laughs> they're bad news, yeah, you know. They're a bad influence, like like the classic, you know, moral <laughs> panic that happened around Rock. That, But this time there's a genuine truth to it because they are literally warping people's minds, <laughs> which I've just realised, if that's actually what they're going for with them, that it's meant to be like some riff on the whole satanic panic thing, then credit to its due listers. Probably, probably a bit of a stretch, that one. But I'm hoping that they do deliver more on this idea of like examining Echo's like you know orthodoxy almost if you want to call it that with his you know understanding of the almanac and like how he puts value in it like they all seem so awesome but like the thing about the almanac though is there's no way on God's green earth that any thing like that is going to present uh you know its subject matter without a lot of bias in favor of them it's meant to sell them of course it is exactly what he's got there is essentially a piece of marketing. Well, this this is uh, yeah. This is totally why I think it's worth it to co- contrast that uh, almanac as as a thing, as a piece of art with you know the Dada sisters, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and and what they say about power and structure. Um, I, I think that there's worthwhile things to be thought of there, and I like also in a different note what you said about Echo and fear of the unknown, kind of. Uh, like, again, I thought, like, the first episode, um, and this episode sync up really well in that way, like, because you, you see him as a boy who has been beat down so much by his community and environment that, like, he does not want to, like, like, it, it would just, he's just scared to venture out at all, and the fact that they kind of follow that up in in this way here is really good and uh, you know like he's probably not his kind of personality is probably not helped very much by uh those old men telling him all those scary stories about especially what he couldn't understand (laughs) (laughs) what was that old man he says you're a pipsqueak you need to piss off (laughs) Uh, anyway i am done on talking points otherwise Uh, but yeah overall very impressed it feels it feels strange to me to see this episode go up so high in my estimations relative to the last one where it felt kind of rote i was like "Eh, whatever okay whereas this time around uh, i'm and by the way this all of my opinions i had uh on me liking the episode as much as i did that was before doc i should stress uh fellow listener uh haha that you know, he informed me about the dadism and what that actually means. And like, there's clearly been a lot of thought put into this. Um, 
perhaps I wish that, you know, the fault be spread out more evenly, but, you know, sometimes you got to pay the price of dealing with some, you know, tired old sexual innuendo jokes in order to get the actual meaty <laughs> stuff. And we got some this time around, so thank Christ for that. I am now fully on board with listeners, and I want to see what it does next. I mean, just, like, now, like, in this episode, I don't know, like, I just am such a, like... I am a fanboy slash nerd about things like 20th century cultural slash artistic slash philosophical movements that like just the shot, like them showing the bathroom after figuring out like their whole connection to Dadaism and like throbbing gristle and stuff. Just seeing that, I was like, oh my god. Like, I'm, I'm surprised I've not I'm... laughed yet at Robin Gristle. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, I should be bursting out laughing every time I hear that. Yeah, I've restrained myself. I'm actually being well-behaved today. Oh my gosh. Um, but just seeing that, I was like, okay, I'm fed. The rest of the episode is just gravy. It's just fro- it's frosting on top. I'm I'm fed just by this image here. And that's... An anime will... hadn't really done sorry, that. Go I just gonna say, an anime, like... It's been a minute since an anime has has done that. Just like knowing that the images on screen are connected to something and that like thought, like a lot of thought like has gone into the images and their connection to ideas. I don't know. Maybe I haven't like thought about something quite this way since maybe since like we looked at the, the Ghibli films. Um, oh, but yeah, I, I really appreciated all that. And um but hmm. but just the episode itself without all the like you know stuff you have to go and read about like i thought it was executed very well i dug it i'm still into it um the i i did not like the robot action um as much as the first episode but really there wasn't that much you know, to go on it was just sort of like it was meant i was gonna to, bring this up well i think the the lack of it i just will say really quickly shadon is that it, it the the purpose of the action or lack thereof this episode was the first episode you're supposed to think moves so powerful and this is meant to undercut her. She's meant to be defeated. Um, hmm. So you're not supposed to be like, oh, it's cool, amazing, awesome robotness. Like, you know, you can't do your attacks or you're a little impotent and then, oh, like, you've screwed up and now you've lost. Hmm. Well, I have two points to make regarding the robot action I almost forgot to bring up. Uh, the first of which is, if we don't see the robot using a guitar as a sword by the end of this, then this show has failed. I'm sorry, but it needs to have a guitar in it, you know, at some point which gets smashed over a nailist or another giant robot's head. It has to happen. This is meant to be a rock and roll show. Come on. That's all I ask. Doc, you still there? I'm here. I'm sorry you cut out for a second. Okay. Okay, right. Uh, the second thing I would like to say is this. Um... I think I figured out what is throwing me off with the CG because I don't think the CG is that great. No. But I've realized what's actually triggering my, you know, inner anti-CG sense, if you want to call it that. The problem is that Mu is often seen in the same shots as the robot. Yeah. And sometimes we'll transition from one shot where she's clearly 2D animated to CG animated. Yeah. And they try to hide this like with the robot's arm, like they moving do. in front of her, which I appreciate them doing that. But I think that her simply existing externally from the robot period is a mistake. Because she sticks out like a sore thumb when she's actually CG'd, and so does Echo for that matter from episode one. Not the case this time around, because he's absent from the fight. I think I would like it more 
And I don't know how they would have done this or what other way they would have conceptually done, like, you know, Mu piloting the robot. It's not for me to say, I suppose. Um, but I think I would have preferred it more if she wasn't actually sitting on the or standing on the robot's shoulder. I mean, there's a moment in this episode where Mu is like been yelling at the um, the sister. I've forgotten her name again. The new Bowton sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she transitions to CG, she's actually got this really goofy smile. But that's clearly not months to follow the mood of what's just happened there. Like it doesn't work. It seems like a default facial expression, which they didn't like change to fit something more like how she was feeling just literally seconds earlier. It was very odd. But yeah, I think my core problem with this is that the CG, uh, like it would be fine if it was just the right. It's like I said about Macross, like the reason it works with Macross is because you don't really see CG objects in the same frame as characters, like to the point where, you know, they exist in the same space. I mean, there are like scenes, for example, like where you've got a guy in a cockpit, but that makes sense. They're physically distant from each other. Or the one time you do in, say, Frontier is like when you've got the Vardra flying in. Uh, but the Vardra, you know, they're aliens. That kind of works for them. They're not meant to be human. They're not sitting in that uncanny valley. But, like, seeing Mew looking, like, completely like she's just a figure glued onto the side with her, you know, PVC. Um, I'm oh, sorry, PVA, rather. It doesn't work for me. I think the CG could have been executed better. And that's probably my biggest flaw with this episode, right? Which... I had plenty of flaws in the previous one, but like the most I can really say this time around is I just didn't care either for the robot fight. Well, actually, no, I, I thought the robot fight works, as you say, because of what I was trying to do with it, which was that, you know, first time around, like, you know, she just kind of half asses the fight and then can't use her ultimate finisher. And the second time, you know, she's got all that shit going on with her being mind screwed. That's meant to like, you know, it follows standard dramatic arc. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen them do well, but now we've got to see them brought low so they can recover from that, that kind of thing, you know. You've seen learn it before, folks. And then apply the knowledge to, like, be better or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I agree with you. I like the idea and theory of her being on the um, robot shoulder because I think it's not really done that often, and so it's unique. But, like, I think maybe why it's not done that often is because it's tough to especially when you're doing cg max to make make it look good <laughs> and not not really make the character look pretty rough so um yeah i'm i'm, I'm gonna give a shout out to you can on here who's actually been talking about this in the um in our discord and he actually reminded me of another show that does a similar sin no mechs mind you but it does transition from 2d to 3d characters and that's Zombieland saga and yeah, it doesn't work there either, I'm sorry to say. I mean, I wouldn't mind if it was all one or the other, but when it transitions the way it does, as it, as it happens in this particular episode, it's really, really noticeable. And... I mean, we all can't be Studio Orange. I know that's <laughs> a lot to ask. I know that's really, really tough. But... That doesn't mean, like, that they aren't trying at the very least, you know, with the track. They tried to hide the transition from 2D to 3D with the arm swipe. But maybe they should have gone back to the drawing board rather than recognizing after the fact that it doesn't quite work. Um, Bit too late, perhaps, for that now, maybe. But, yeah. I mean, I could totally see, for example, like, if you wanted to do it a different way, how about, like, that Mew is indeed plugged into the robot, but, like, she's stood far away and she's, like, you know, doing the gestures there she's not actually on the side of the robot hanging on to it you know so you can have like a cutback from the robot fighting to her in 2d like doing the you know actual movements that it's she's mining like the attacks Mm. 
I don't know. There, there are other ways that this could be done. They weren't limited, really. Like, the technology here is limitation, not the storyboarding or the actual um, uh, right. imagination. Sure. So, yeah. Anyway, I am done. How would you rate the episode, my software. friend? How would I rate it? Uh, I'm going to rate it a lot higher mm. um, than last time. I think that it feels bizarre to me to feel like this episode like finally did what I think it should have happened in the first time around, you know, where it felt like it established the show's own identity much, much more strongly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm now on board with these characters. I'm on board with the things it's trying to do. Like, I have a thesis statement I can work with now about what this show's going to explore, which mm. is potentially the idea of, you know, mindless fandom. I had no idea what it was going to be about on the first episode. And you might say, well, hey, that's crazy, you know. Uh, you can't expect it to do that. But I would beg to differ. I'm not saying it needs to explore it thoroughly, but it needs to at least get the groundwork laid. And the only thing we really had to like propel us forward at the end of the last episode was the new Bowson sisters appearing menacingly in the distance, which in of itself feels like a kind of admission that the Aeolists themselves were not really all that interesting. But they've completely U-turned on that, so good on them. The comedy was a lot stronger because this time around they weren't entirely relying on tired old jokes that had been done a thousand times before, and better elsewhere for that matter. Um, say weakest point for me was more just the CG and anything. So, all told in the end, uh, I am going to give this episode uh, four out of five twisted toilets. I'm all yeah. I'm still in the uh, toilet one for you. You've got to think of what you've got to think of a new one. No, now. no, no. I, I knew it. you. Were I had it. no, no, no. I had it. Um, I'm gonna go also four out of five. Um, sharpies uh, had in the moment of need. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for for um, you know, a slightly down for me from last week just because of um, the I don't know. I thought like the spectacle really added a lot to um what happened um uh in the first episode and so just a little smidge of a point off for not having uh that but i thought uh, everything else was really great um just just kept it rolling for me uh everything that i liked about it i think the show knows what it's about um it feels pretty confident um it has things that it wants to say things it wants to explore things it wants you to explore um and i dig that i would caution shadon against like making your theory about the earless like the sort of the crux of why you like the show because at this point i don't know it could be a bit they could be about anything it could be not an allegory could be a at red herring, yeah. yeah so like it, it would just I, I would be bummed out if like the next couple of episodes things happen that sort of contradicted that reading and then that made you like the show less well, I think to give myself more credit here, like if it still was about something, just not that, like I'm not so prideful that I would go, well, it wasn't what I wanted yeah. it to be about. I mean, granted, I have felt slightly about that before with things like Kabuki Joe Sherlock, but well, that was Kabuki Joe Sherlock, which seemed entirely about, you know, making trans people out to be criminals and, <laughs> you know, generally being shit. Oh. Uh, whereas this obviously is not that. Um, so. I would give myself more credit and say, like, you know, I'm infused by the idea of it, but as long as it remains about something, even if it's not this, that's fine. But if it then turns out, oh, they really are just about nothing, we didn't, it, none of all of this was meaningless twaddle, then, well, I'll call it what it is, meaningless twaddle, and I'll be quite disappointed by it then. Um, but yeah, 
we'll see. I'm certainly at least, even if I'm turned out to be completely wrong, though, like, I'm infused to see what comes next, which is more than I can say if you're leaving episode one where I was just kind of, like, shrugging my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week if it turns out that I was lying on false, you know, relying on false hope. Well, um, I'm glad we both liked it. Uh, and I will take the opportunity to uh, say uh, that the polls for episode two will be up um, at some point after this uh, pod goes up, probably tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, let's see, I'm in America. It's evening. Um, and it's still it's still the same day over in the UK. So I can definitely say as of recording time tomorrow. Um and I want to say thank you to patrons. Uh, we love you all very much. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash show to subscribe. You can read about all the benefits contained therein uh, on the Ooh, page. La, la. And uh, if you would like to shout out Shadon, he is at Shadon1010 on the Twitter. I am at the subtle doctor. Um, that uh, what are we just show the pod account where you can keep up with all the things that we're doing is that what are we just show we're on spotify we're on apple pods we're on youtube subscribe like follow share review five snakes do the deeds and and <laughs> and and finally to sign off we'll leave you with this for uh listeners episode two um embrace each other everyone out there to the ends of the universe Good night.